strong! Welcome to The Jig Is Up, our first episode of 2018. Still getting used to that. Uh, Normally I would be introducing Jason right now as my co-host, but unfortunately Jason has decided to leave the show... Nah, I'm just kidding. He's actually got a man cold tonight, so we're hoping uh, Jason gets better. And, uh, you know, Jason, I hope to see you in the next episode. So tonight is just me, ranting and raving, like a lone lunatic. Uh, But tonight I'm going to talk about elections and democracy. Uh, Basically, there's a story that's come out, and the CBC kind of broke this story, and then the Métis Nation of Alberta responded. So it's a little bit more of an Alberta story. Um, but basically, the CBC story was that there was an election held in Region 1, which is up in the Laclavish area uh, of Alberta, if anybody wants to look that up on a map, if you don't know where that is. And basically what happened was that the election, they said, was held at the house of the current president, who is running for re-election, and that there was you know, not, a, not any proper notice given that the election was happening, uh, people were turned away and not allowed to vote, and things like that. And there was, uh, you know, quotes from a couple of people, apparently from the community or from the area, that were very disappointed in how the election was run. Um, From what I understand, I read in one article something like uh, 35 people ended up voting, but there's like 600 Métis Nation members in that area. So it's a very, very large discrepancy between um, Métis Nation members and who actually voted. Now, what was... Interesting, as much interesting that as that is, was the response from the Métis Nation of Alberta, who basically came out and confirmed that it was, in fact, in the house of the uh, incumbent president. Of, and But then they, they clarified that by saying that that was due to the constraints of underfunding of the Métis Nation of Alberta locals. And, and then they went on to say that their bylaws require at least 10 MNA citizens to, who are eligible to vote to attend and that the quorum was met. And uh, I'm assuming that, it, you know, the 35 that was reported were 35 real votes. Uh, so they, they met their quorum of 10 whole voters and they claim that the Métis Nation requirements to vote and who were not allowed to vote um, were met and that adequate, um, you know, warning about the vote was given or notice about the vote. And then they oddly went on to blame the constraints of the Societies Act of Alberta for the reason they haven't achieved full self-government, which kind of, I really don't know. I mean, I get why they're saying that, and it fits with the voting thing, but it was kind of a weird segue into blaming, you know, a system that they've had for 90 years, mind you, as the reason that their election maybe wasn't uh, such a great election. And... You know, I got so many thoughts about this and so many questions and, and so many obvious concerns. And, you know, first of all, I mean, having a quorum on on uh, an election seems crazy. So you get at least 10, 10 voters and that's it. That's good. That doesn't seem like a fair democracy to me. So, I mean, <clears throat> you know, just on on that level alone, that seems a little odd. And then, on top of that, to hold the election in the house of the incumbent. I mean, that just screams of election intimidation. I mean, who's going to go and vote against the person when you're going in their house, you know, walking up their stairs, going into their living room in order to vote? It's, 
you know, and th they blamed that on, um, you know, again, due to the constraints of underfunding of the Métis Nation locals. And, you know, so let's tie that together with this statement they said about the constraints of the Societies Act not allowing them to achieve full self-governance. Government. So, I mean, how do you expect to be considered a, a fully self-governing organization if you're not even putting the effort into your, you know, elections throughout the province? I don't care what local level they're at. If you're not putting the attention in to actually hold a real election. Now, if you are going to put it in somebody's house, why couldn't it be a neutral party's house, not the incumbent president? I, I you know, come on. On top of that, uh, there has got to be places in and around Laclabiche that you can either rent for cheap or you can um, get for free. You know, there's legions, there's uh, community centers, there's a school, you know, Schools will rent out their gymnasiums to you. Uh, churches will oftentimes, you know, rent things out. Now, I'm sure if you had connections into the community up there, you could probably get at least a really good deal. So let's let's not hide behind the fact that they're underfunded. Why are your Métis Nation of Alberta locals underfunded? I mean, if you're the Métis Nation, this is like, you know, Apple blaming the government because their Apple stores aren't doing well and that their staff aren't getting paid very much, or something. Like, this is crazy. You're complaining that your own locals are underfunded. Well, then you need to do a better job of figuring out how to fund them. Um, you need to put on a better show for an election. Uh, like, this is not an election. This is a Mickey Mouse rinky-dink operation. Um, I mean, how... So, yeah, there's that. And then... What was really interesting to me was there was a person who I, I think isn't an employee of the MA. I'm not sure, but anyways, they're very quick, closely tied to the MA, and they're a very starch defender of, staunch defender of the MA. And they made a, some, a big, huge post on social media, and, and I'm just going to read a couple excerpts from it because they, they like to single out other groups um, and basically point their finger and laugh. But we just, you know, after having this conversation about the underfunding of your own locals and an, an election in somebody's house where 35 whole people showed up, I mean, you are clearly not running a democratic organization. But then they go, somebody from there seems goes on and says, the issue that I have with so many of these new or even already existing indigenous groups, like the Congress of Aboriginal People, Métis Nation of Canada, Métis Federation of Canada, and even the regional groups like Aboriginal Congress of Alberta Association or the Coalition of Aboriginal Peoples in Saskatchewan, how are you a representative organization of anyone if you don't have elections? Well, you, what is, this is not an election. What you had wasn't an election. She goes on to say some other things and then finishes it off with, who does that make them accountable to? How do they become identifiable as a representative organizations? Who elects these people to be a voice or representative of anyone other than themselves? Well, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you the outcome of their, you know, in somebody's living room, in the incumbent president's living room, you'll be shocked to know that the incumbent president overwhelmingly was re-elected. So, it, come on. You can't point the finger and, and mock other organizations who are new, and maybe they don't have a big... Um, 
you know, membership, or maybe they don't have a lot of people. And so they just haven't gotten to the point where they can have a good solid election. And so rather than have some Mickey Mouse, you know, garbage election, they're trying to get things rolling until they have an election. But you guys have had 90 years, almost 90 years, um, to have elections, to figure out how to have elections. And then to come along and blame the, the Societies Act for the constraints, to be honest with you, the Societies Act isn't that constraining. Um, the reality is, is you get to set all your own bylaws. All you got to do is submit them every year. And you do that in your annual General Assembly. You have a kajillion bylaws about everything. And you can't seem to come up with a way to have an election that is better than this. That just says to me, nobody's putting the effort in because nobody really cares. And I'm sorry, you, you cannot point your finger. Just because you get a lot of money for other stuff and you've been around the longest doesn't make you the best in the business. It doesn't make you the, the best in the world. When you're still having elections in somebody's living room, in the incumbent's living room, I don't think you can point the fingers at anybody else and say bad things about them. It's kind of like that old saying of, you know, people who live in glass houses, you know. Um, so that was my, my take on that. Uh, if, you know, if you agree or disagree, hey, feel free to send comments at metispodcast at gmail.com. But, uh, yeah, I just, I thought it was weird that they're, you know, so adamant about these other organizations not being, you know, democratic and not being elected and not being truly representative. Well, who are you representing? You're representing 35 people? Because you had an election in the living room? Come on. You get like almost, you get $5 million a year. And I will tell you right now, I know for a fact the Métis Federation of Canada does not get $5 million a year. I'm pretty sure that uh, groups like the Métis Nation of Canada, the Aboriginal Congress of Alberta Association, I'm pretty sure these groups are not getting $5 million a year for their, you know, for all of their programs and services and things like that. So, and, and, governance. You get a few million dollars a year for governance. With a few million dollars a year, you can actually run elections. I'm sorry, you can. So if you haven't figured out a way to work through the Societies Act in 90 years to have an election in your regions that doesn't even cost that much, but it's not in somebody's living room, and it's certainly not in the incumbent's living room, then I, I just don't think you have the right to belittle and badmouth anybody else. Um, so that's my take on that. Uh, I won't spend too much more, I won't spend any more time on that. I think that was kind of laughable. I know that they really, really want to just get a huge pile of money, and, and uh, but for what? I mean, they say that getting out of the Society Act is going to fix that. Okay, but How? So if you get $10 million a year, does that mean your locals will no longer have to have elections in their living rooms? Will they actually be able to rent a space? Or will you figure out a way to get more than 35 out of 600 people to the polls? Um, you know, even on a provincial level, I think the last election they had, they got less than 1% of their voter turnout, which we've talked about many times. So what does it take? Does it take... 10 million, 15 million, 100 million in order for you to be able to have an election where your membership actually cares and turns out and and is able to and has access to voting. Because uh, 
in the incumbent's living room is not access to voting. That is not a democratic system. That is very much an intimidation tactic to ensure that only those people who like that president are going to show up to vote. So, kind of a joke. Um, And I just think, out of all the things that they're going to point their fingers at and make fun of other organizations about, you know, those other organizations have not had 90 years to figure out how to have an election. So, let's keep that in perspective. The other thing I want to talk about tonight, uh, which is not necessarily Métis-focused, but it's just Indigenous people in general, is the wonderfully unbelievable, horrible crap that's coming out of a specific senator, Senator Lynn Bayek, and we just can't seem to get rid of this idiot. Um, I mean, so about a year ago, for those who maybe don't know or don't remember, about a year ago, she made a statement that there were good things that came out of the residential schools as well. Not just the bad. And we need to recognize those good things. Um, it was blasted all over the media. Every indigenous group in the country came out and was infuriated. She was called racist, which she is, uh, and a whole bunch of other names. And she weathered the storm, and guess what? She's still in the Senate. Now, she's gone even a step further. And she's collected all these letters of support over the last, I don't know, I guess year, a little over a year. And she decided to pop those up on her website. Now, I want to give you an example of the type of letters that she was receiving. And uh, you tell me, I guess, well, you can't tell me, but, you, you know, you think about them, and, and just you just, you can decide for yourself, is it racist or is it just a, a very intra- different point of view? Uh, so the first letter of the ones, I, the couple that I picked here was uh, this person named Roy sent her a letter on April 5th of 2017 and said, It is unfortunate that the media and people who have not interacted with the Aboriginal community will not pay attention to those who have. At a conservative, I am very disappointed in the way you have been treated. You are a voice of truth and honesty. The fact is... Oh, sorry. The fact is that there are two good things that came out of res schools. When I see an Aboriginal person, I can talk to him or her. They can operate in our modern world, to some extent. In the 70s, they had problems in the Old Rivers Air Base, living in a modern community where they could learn, or but they could learn. Please hang in there and do not let the fools who think they can implement all of the recommendations of the committee. It would destroy our nation. So that's one of the letters. And let's, uh, let's have a look. I'm just going to take an excerpt out of this other one from a guy named Hubert, who was, it was sent on April 5th last year as well. Um, I really find it hard to accept all the attacks on residential schools. I feel that First Nations people should be very grateful that they were, there was such a service or system in place for their benefit. Let's consider why these schools were set up in the first place. The children had absolutely no chance to get an education training or medical help as needed if they were to remain living on the shore of some distant lake or river with their families. Where would they be today if it were not for the residential school that were set up for them? I expect they would still be living out of their isolated villages, uneducated, a very high rate of childbirth deaths, and, a, and very short life expectancy, and living in very damp 
cold dwellings. Is it not time that we drop this political correctness and give credit to the many people that dedicated their lives to helping these people? I'm not suggesting that there were not wrongdoings, as there are and have been in all walks of life. There have been many people that have been educated by the residential school system that had it not been for those schools, they probably would not be the doctors, nurses, teachers, politicians that have greatly contributed to our current multicultural society that is enjoyed in Canada and in turn are able to greatly assist their own people. Yeah, so, um, I don't even, you know, that's those are just two examples. Uh, I went through, I'm going to say probably maybe 20 and... Essentially, it's all the same sentiment. Like, residential schools were good. I don't understand. And Ah, it was mind-numbingly infuriating to read these things. Uh, so she posted these all up. <clears throat> then people got in a panic and got all mad and upset. And, you know, continued to call her racist and, and all the things. This just kicked up a fury again. Which is what she wants. She wants her name in the press. Uh, she's kind of a dum-dum. So she's got to put her name in the press and and trying to think that that somehow keeps her relevant to something. So Dum Dum's got her name in the press, she's got her face on the papers, so she's happy. Now, um, she was kicked out of the Conservative Party caucus uh, shortly after, and everybody's like, oh, well, I'm glad at least something happened. Um, you know, now let's talk about her still being a senator, but let's focus on why she was kicked out of that Conservative Party caucus. So... Over a year ago when she came out and she said these things, she was not kicked out of the caucus. So her statement about residential schools, that wasn't enough. The conservatives were okay with that because clearly that's an okay statement to make. The letters being posted, it, it wasn't the letters being posted that got her kicked out of the caucus. No, no, they're okay with the letters and the letters are still up on her website. She was kicked out because she was asked to remove a single letter off the website that said that Indigenous people are lazier than every other race of people and something else. So they asked her to remove that one single letter, not all the letters, not the hundred letters that she posted, that one. And because she refused, they, they kicked her out of caucus. So it, it wasn't even the fact that that letter was up there or that she agreed with it or whatever. It was the fact that she refused to do something that the party ordered her to do. Therefore, she was kicked out of caucus. So this has nothing to do with racism and everything to do with party policies and procedures. So the Conservative Party and Andrew Scheer and everybody there is totally seems totally okay with everything she said and done. And 99 out of the 100 letters, they're totally cool with her posting up. But that one, that was the kicker. Um, so that's why she was kicked out of the caucus. And I really think that's an important note to make because let's not confuse why she was kicked out and of the caucus and let's not confuse what the Conservative Party, uh, their attitude towards this situation is. Their attitude is they really don't care. Um, she only got kicked out because she didn't follow party rules. Now there's the big fury uh, or uh, controversy that she says they never even told her to take it down. They said they did, blah, blah, blah. I don't really care about that. Um, now let's contrast this story to a story that came out of Germany, uh, I think this week or last week, where a Canadian Holocaust denier, unfortunately from Alberta, 
was recently arrested for her views on Holocaust denial. You see, in Germany, it's illegal to to deny the Holocaust, and it can come with an up to a five-year prison sentence. So she goes to Germany, and basically, I'm assuming that she said something to somebody about denying the Holocaust, or said her views, or, or I don't know, said something in public, did something, obviously, to get her arrested. And on, I hope she goes to jail. I hope she spends five years in German prison. Good for her. But that's the difference between Canada and Germany. Is In Germany, it's written into their hate speech laws that it is illegal for you to deny the Holocaust. And it is actually, I think it's still illegal for you to wear certain symbols like the swastika. Uh, I think the Iron Cross is allowed again. Uh, but there's a few others that are not allowed. So... There's, because of that Holocaust, they made those laws. Because they don't want to deny what's happened. They don't want to whitewash it or, you know, wash it off. But here in North America, where we don't really want to believe that we had a genocide, that we, we did bad things here, um, you can be a senator and say this crap, and you can still be a senator. Because guess what? She's not going anywhere. She's not getting kicked out of the Senate. She's not getting fired out of the Senate. Um, I think even if you murdered somebody, I think you could still get away with being a senator while you served your prison time and got out of jail and went back and sat as a senator. That's how bad it is here. Um, suppose that she said something, suppose, take what she said and all the letters she posted, and instead of saying it about residential school, let's say she, let's change residential school with, uh, you know, the, the German Holocaust, the, the, the Nazi death camps. Let's change those words out. Do you think that it would be the same reaction from Canadians? I bet you she'd still find a hundred people that would send her letters saying, yes, the de- let's deny the, gen- the Holocaust and what happened in Germany. It's not true. But, and, but would she get away with posting those letters? Would she get away with saying these things? No, she wouldn't. The short answer is no, not acceptable. And she never probably never would say that. But it's okay to downplay, whitewash and totally disregard the genocide that has happened on this land for, you know, it didn't happen over a decade. It's happened over a couple of centuries, if not four four or five centuries now. Um, You know, and I think perhaps it may be time, I mean, genocide is genocide. There's no other way to say what happened here on this land to indigenous people was not genocide. It was genocide. It meets every definition of genocide. It wasn't cultural genocide. It wasn't uh, spiritual genocide. It was genocide. And that's all it was. It was an, it was an attempt to eliminate an entire um, ethnicity of people because you didn't, they didn't want them. So, <clears throat> because they wanted the land. That is genocide. I don't care how you whitewash that there, Bayek. Um, you dumb dumb. Let's let's just face facts. And so I, th- I think maybe it's time that, that people started uh, writing letters, sending emails, making phone calls to their MPs. Maybe it's time that Canada, if you want to reconcile, if you want to talk about truth and reconciliation, then put your money where your mouth is, and let's let's put that into law. Let's do what Germany did and say, you know what? To deny or say that the residential schools were good or deny that they were they were as bad as they were is illegal. Is in itself a, a form of hate speech. Let's write that into the criminal code 
and give it a five-year sentence. And then that way, the next time Senator Lynn Bayek says something stupid like this again, which I guarantee will probably happen in about another year because she's got to keep her face in, in the public media, let's, uh, let's make sure she goes to jail or something. Um, you know, is that, is that the least we can do? I, I, we got to do something. Because this denying of, of residential schools and the impact and what, what happened is ridiculous. It's just going to continue to go on and on and on. And Canada needs to face its past, understand its past, and accept its past, and then teach its past so that it doesn't continue to happen, which it is today continuing to happen. So when she says that the residential schools weren't all bad, she's saying that the child welfare system today isn't all bad and that the overpopulation of our prison system by Indigenous people isn't all bad. And, uh, you know, the... Failure to have access to medical care by Indigenous people isn't all bad. And Canada's failure to fund schools and education at an equal level as all other schools and non-Indigenous schools is not all bad. That's what she's saying. She's saying that the things that are going on today aren't all bad. I mean, there's good things, right? So, something needs to be done. We need to get this into our hate speech laws, and we need to deal with this. But for now, I guess we just keep paying her. Uh, we keep paying her to be a racist senator, and she keeps getting the, keeps saying racist garbage, which clearly appeals to her ignorant base of supporters. Um, so that's what I had to say tonight. Uh, you know, I was a bit ranty, I know, but I think these are important topics to to talk about. Um, you know, and, and again, if you got any feedback, send a, send an email to metipodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, and I just want to say a couple of things in closing here. Uh, in, in the Calgary area, there's an event this Saturday on January 13th from 1 to 4 at the McDougal United Church. And it's called the Acadia Friendship Circle. I don't think it has anything to do with Acadia out east. I think it has to do with Acadia in Calgary, the community. Um, and my friend, a uh, uh, friend of my family, Evans Yellow Woman, is uh, putting on this event. Or, and, and so it should be a good event. Uh, there will be uh, separate events for children to take part in and things like that. And uh, so, yeah, if you can go, it's I think I believe it's a free event. So if you can go, please do. It uh, should be, he always does really good uh, talks when he's on stage. He's a great speaker. So if you want to go hear about his life, and, and he's a two-spirit man, so if you want to hear about his life uh, growing up on the res as a two-spirit man and walking through this world, uh, it's a great opportunity to hear him. He's a great speaker, so please check that out. And then on January 20th, from 5 till midnight, here in Calgary at the Genesis Center, is the 2018 Friendship Round Dance. Uh, and that includes, I believe that includes a meal. Um, and again, I think it's a free event. So if you want to check that out and go to a round dance, then feel free. There's going to be lots of people there. It's usually a very um, popular round dance. So it should be should be really good. And the Genesis Center is a really large facility, and uh, it's indoors. So you can get out of the weather and, and have a round dance, listen to some drumming and some singing, and eat some food, and, and it's going to be a great time. So uh, that's it. That's all I got. This is usually when I ask Jason if he has any final thoughts, which uh, apparently he doesn't because he's got the old man cold. Uh, so, Jason, I hope you get better. And until next time, I hope everybody has a great next two weeks. Uh, get out there and be the change you want to see in the world. And until next time, the jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses. A fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light. 
No more living in darkness.